Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, Baldry's beat Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, we had a, a ton of phone calls there in the last segment on this Vancouver moving company mm-hmm. reporting out that they're seeing a spike now in their clients who are moving from Vancouver to Alberta. Yeah. So they say that's a significant spike that they've seen there. They've also seen more people moving to Vancouver Island, other points in Vancouver. So that's interesting because Alberta, the Alberta government had that big ad campaign trying to convince yep. people to move there. Maybe, I don't maybe it's working for them. Appears to be working somewhat. I mean, anecdotally, I think we all know someone who's moved out of Metro Vancouver, cashed out of that, you know, two million, three million dollar home and have relocated in Alberta or parts of Vancouver Island. Not necessarily the capital. I do know people who have cashed out and moved to Victoria, but Victoria by and large is an extension of um the of Metro when it comes to housing affordability. I mean there's there's no rents available here. Rents are sky high and houses re- remain very unattainable for many people. You know, I've we've talked before. There's no one Canadian housing market. There's uh, a thousand Canadian housing market. There's ten thousand Canadian housing markets. Victoria housing prices remain high, but you can cash out of Victoria or Metro Vancouver and relocate to Calgary, Edmonton, yep. small towns in Alberta. But as your callers just pointed out, the downside of that you give up the best weather in the country yeah. for the, some of the worst weather in the country. And that's a big that's a big factor for people. You know, you and I live in two of the most desirable neighborhoods in Canada, Fairfield, yeah. Victoria, and Oak Bay. Yeah. But one of the big great things yesterday, walking around a sunny Victoria, and I note with some surprise, Metro Vancouver blanketed in snow. Whereas Victoria, <laughs> just a balmy, warm winter day and very sunny. Yeah. No, uh, Victoria's got that microclimate going on, right? So you could go out and shoot around to golf in the in the middle of winter. And, you know, this is an impossibility elsewhere in Canada. But, man, I'll tell you, for young people who are thinking that they want to raise a family, am I supposed to raise a family in a condo? Come on. Like, people are looking at, where can, well, I, I, buy up, a, where can I buy a house? My brother and I grew up in a two-bedroom apartment, three-bedroom apartment, two-bedroom apartment for right. years. I mean, a lot of people do do that. Um What's interesting, though, you, I think you had a reference to teachers perhaps moving. So BC's teachers are going to get a 14% wage hike over the next three years. Well, we had a call from a listener who said his daughter was a teacher, and thank goodness they got that raise because mm-hmm. she was worried and thinking of maybe thinking about moving. Alberta teachers, I, get, I think, are getting a 3% increase. over. Yeah. I think it's 1-1-1 one, one, and one in Alberta, where it's 14% here. So that may start softening some of the exodus, at least when it comes to public sector workers, because every public sector worker in, in BC is getting a 14% wage hike. Okay, get set to call me on that again if you want to weigh in. We had a ton of calls on that in the last segment. Premier David Eby on his way to Ottawa. He's there, he's yep. there now. He's going there yep. today. He's there now. He's going to be He's there with a team of uh, cabinet ministers. It's, it's the initial meet and greet with Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. The big meeting comes next week when all the premiers go to Ottawa, first minister's conference. Uh, on healthcare, where they're going to try to b- broker a deal that will see, one way or another, billions of dollars going to the provinces for healthcare, and that means for BC probably at least two billion a year increase in, in federal transfer of funding. Now the the feds may 
you know, insists it be targeted with strings attached. That's next week's meeting. Today he's got Nikki Sherman, the Attorney General, is going to be in Ottawa talking about bail reform uh, to, you know, start change the rules when it comes to chronic violent offenders and don't yeah. let them out on bail all the time. Ravi Kalon's there to talk housing. I think Josie Osborne's there to talk energy. Uh, Brenda Bailey's there about jobs. So um, Adrian Dix is not there, interestingly, the health minister. Um, but healthcare is not going to be a big focus of the talks. Again, that's going to come next week. John Horgan seemed to have a pretty good relationship oh, with did. Trudeau. Romance. Things got a little frosty there at the end, though, over the over, over the healthcare the health deal. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't as good a relationship as it was uh, for the several years before that. But it didn't break down. Oh. And it's in Evie's interest to have a strong relationship with who's ever in the prime minister's office. You rely on the feds for a lot of things, infrastructure money. It was a big deal when Justin Trudeau came to to, um, Surrey and was there for the Surrey SkyTrain extension. You know, it's a big deal when the feds contribute billions of dollars for infrastructure money, but also to get the feds to come to the table on health care. Next week, the the implications are huge in terms of the impact on provincial budgets. Okay, I spoke to Jennifer Whiteside on the show today. She's BC's Minister for Addictions and Mental Health and lead minister on this decriminalization of drug possession file. And I asked her, "What what are you trying to accomplish here? She said the number one goal is to reduce the stigma around drug drug use. So I said, well, how do you, how do you measure that? How do you measure it? Like, how do you, how do you measure that and, and know you've achieved success? Like, you do like a public opinion poll on it or something? Like, how do you, what, what's the deliverable here? And she said, well, what we're going to be watching for is how many people, if they have an interaction with police for a drug possession, no longer going to be charged, please don't take away their drugs, but they will hand you a resource card, which says, here's where you can get help. So they're going to be looking how many people are diverted after a police interaction into some kind of, you know, drug treatment. Like, I'm just one, you know, the problem is the lack of or the shortages of resources and, and services available. Now, there is a website you can go to well, one if of you the, want help, but I don't know if you can get, you, know, you, can get, you can't get into immediate treatment here. Maybe. One of the doctors at the news conference yesterday said that it's very hard to navigate the system uh, yeah. when it comes to resources. So it's it's easier said than done to just getting a card saying, you know, go to this website. So um, people have complained it's, it's a hard thing to navigate. The other thing yesterday, you know, I had a, on Global last night played a clip from Dr. Nell Weinman, who's the, the head of the First Nations Health Authority. Uh, we, we get these stats from the corner every month, break, breaking down the deaths of people by age, gender, and geography. Yesterday, for the first time, we heard a very large number of of indigenous people disproportionately sure. yeah. dying from toxic drugs yeah. five times the death rate in the wow. indigenous community compared to the non-indigenous community less than four percent of the population and 15 percent of the deaths and dr weinman pointed out particularly getting hit right now are aboriginal women so this is all part of the data collection that's going to be happening here um when it, going forward as we go into this three-year exper- experimentation with decriminalization so you're going to get a lot of numbers, but you're right. Measuring sticks here, how do you measure whether getting rid of this stigmatization the, the other, has actually been accomplished? The other thing is that, you know, people have made the argument that, well, you know, basically what are you doing here? Okay, you're decriminalizing possession of these small amounts of these drugs. Isn't it already effectively de- decriminalized? Are a lot of people going to jail right now for drug possession of small amounts of drugs? Have a listen to Dr. Julian Summers here. He's a researcher at Simon Fraser University. This was earlier this week on the show disagree on the just on on factual grounds 
Um, no one is going to prison in Canada for drug possession on its own. That is simply not a thing. The Vancouver police reported, and I forget the numbers, but the chief reported the essentially negligible number of arrests that their officers are bringing for the offense of possession. Okay, so if, if they're not really arresting people for possession of drugs but now, what difference is it going to make? Because they've been taking away the drugs. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's she, the, the, the minister difference. made that point, too. That's the big difference, right. is you're taking away drugs that may very well have been t- determined to be safe drugs, and they're taking yeah. those away. So those drugs are no longer going to be taken away. I think that's the biggest thing of this. It's not the jail. You're right. Police aren't throwing people in jail for small amounts yeah. of drug possession, but they have been taking their drugs away. And that's going to stop. Right. So if you're caught with two and a half grams or less of these drugs, you're allowed to keep the drugs now. Yes. And, and, that'll, again, and that'll make it better. Well, it doesn't answer the, the question of whether those drugs are safe. That's the other thing is the safe supply. Yeah. That's the other side of the argument, not the other side of the argument, but an extension of the argument. Do you go that one step further and guarantee a safe supply of drugs? A number of opposition parties have been calling for that, not the conservatives or the BC liberals. The Greens have been calling for that, for example. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rec, Rec Beach, in your younger days, did you spend any time at Rec Beach? No, out at UBC, we went down at Towers Beach, which is right around the corner from Rec Beach. Rec, Rec Beach, in my day, was the the old hippie nudist colony beach. Well, but still, now it still it's turned, is, isn't it? It still is, but now it's turned into, I think, much more of a party beach. Right, so, so now you've got a Metro Vancouver Parks Committee, is they want more cops down there because they're saying that there's a bunch of, there's too many, too many parties, there's booze, there's drugs, there's people overdosing, there are illegal beach fires, so they're wrecking Wreck Beach. So they want more police down there to enforce what's going on on Wreck Beach. So, I mean... Well, it's, it's a pretty remote beach. It's not, yeah. There's no housing nearby. Uh, you know, it's an extension of the endowment lands out there. Yeah. So it's out there in the Fraser, uh, and, uh, and uh, again, I'm not sure... You're going to see VPD put a lot more resources into that when you've well, got a lot more pressing pro- problems in the downtown east side and parts of the of uh, the community. Well, that'll be interesting. Let's have a listen to Judy Williams here. She is the head oh, of Judy the Williams. yeah the Wreck Beach Preservation Society. She's been there for a long time. She <laughs> yeah, she's a warrior for Wreck Beach. She'll be on the show later today, by the way. So here she is. Now you'll hear here talking about you know when people go nude down there. She's upset about you know. Peeping toms and creeps and weirdos come down and scope, you know, and ogle, ogle people and stuff. So here's what she has to say. It's a clothing optional beach. You will experience more of what it means to be in the spirit of Wreck Beach if you remove your clothing. And I say to gawkers, find a clothed beach. Go down to Kits. There you're going to see a real meat market. Yeah. So she says, "Look, you know, <laughs> if, you, optional. if you're wa- if you want to ogle at people, you know, go to a, go to another beach. Don't come to Wreck Beach here." I'm not sure why it's suddenly a bigger problem now than it was 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, Judy was Williams, it always a problem. Judy now? Williams has been quoted on this issue for decades, yeah. as far as I can recall. <laughs> I don't recall it being as big an issue now that the Parks Committee seems to be saying it is. I mean, yeah. when I worked at the Vancouver Sun years ago, we were always doing stories on Wreck Beach and and some of the problems associated with it. Right. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Right to your phone calls here. Sandra in Vancouver. Hi, Sandra. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to talk about uh, Rec Beach for a minute. I'm a long-time rec-, rec beacher. I've been going to the beach since uh, probably 1990 or something like that. Okay. Um, it's always been a little bit dodgy, but now that there are cell phones and things, people can record and be very you know, elusive with their gawking. So it is definitely an issue. The other issue that's going on down there is there's a party scene, um, and it seems like it's just gone way out of control to the point where you know, what the beach was intended for initially, which kind of just peace and love and nature and quiet has become, you know, an electronic dance party. Um, And with that does come a lot of drugs. And so it's sort of, it's pushing off the rec beach regulars and um, bringing in a completely different group of people. Um, You know, and like Judy says, there's plenty of places to go if you want to, um, you know, have your electronic dance party. Rec Beach is the only nude beach in Vancouver. It's not, um, the Vancouver police don't generally come down there. It's it's RCMP jurisdiction, so Mm -hmm. it takes quite a bit to get someone to come down and do anything um, for the partying, let alone the, um, you know, the gawking and things like that. It's a bit bit harder to... uh, it's a bit harder to track. So it definitely needs an eye down there and more, way more of an eye than there currently is, in my opinion. Yeah. Good reminder. Sorry, my mistake. I forgot this is an RCMP patrol um, beach. This is the university detachment of the RCMP. Right. So right. we're talking about a very small detachment up there. It's not a big detachment at UBC. I'm not convinced they're going to spend a lot of resources on this. And you make the point about cell phones and videos that didn't exist when he, when rec beach was sort of created there wasn't that ability to sort of steal someone's privacy do you, do you think there's a lot of that sandra going on like there's a bunch of perverts and weirdos down there you know people are trying to surreptitiously filming taking pictures of people in the nude nothing we like it woman that goes down there we stick together men will position themselves so that they can get a good angle at your parts you know they do uh. that yeah. It's disgusting, you know, and back in the day, you used to have a big band of naked hippies chasing after you if you brought a camera out. Now, people have so many cameras, there's no, you know, there's not enough naked hippies to, to go around. Yeah, yeah, you don't know if you're being filmed now, because everyone's well, got a camera basically well, on them. I wonder if it's sustainable exactly. to have the old model there. The, the other thing, Sandra, is like if somebody ODs down there, oh man, that's difficult for a paramedics to get down there. How many, st- it's like 300 yeah. stairs to get down there, isn't it? Yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen the um, when they used to have the hovercraft, they'd bring the hovercraft in right. and take people off the beach. And back then it was, you know, I'm still talking about the 90s because I, I don't go down as much as I used to. I try to go down maybe a handful of times each year, but I was going down almost every day uh, when I was in my 20s. And, you know, you'd see it, but it was things like, you know, somebody did too many mushrooms or a little bit of acid or whatever. Now it's different. Mm-hmm. 
Sandra, know. thank you very much. Thank you very much for the call. Appreciate yeah, it. drugs are much more dangerous now yeah. than they were 30 years ago. Yeah, we'll talk more about this later on the show. Mike in Duncan on the line. Hi, Mike, go ahead. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Um, Good. With the people moving to Alberta, <clears throat> pardon me, I think missing in the elephant in the room is the demographics of the people moving. The people moving to Alberta are younger people. They're contributing to society. You know, they're raising families. The people moving from Alberta to B.C. are older retirees, and, and they're not really contributing so much as using up resources. Um, you know, they pay lower property taxes, et cetera. And that, that, that's what's really missing in this discussion. Okay, that's an interesting point. Well, I'm not sure how many Albertans are cashing out of Calgary and moving into Metro, where the housing prices are ex- significantly higher than the housing prices in Calgary. I've got two, I know, two people, old colleagues who have cashed out of Metro and have moved to Calgary. Yeah. You know, I mean, it used they're to retirees. Be, it used to be a big thing for someone who working in Alberta to retire in British Columbia, but with the price of housing here now, I'm not sure. I'm that's not sure that's going on. It used to certainly happen on Vancouver Island, Parksville, for example, a lot of Albertans, but prices are very high on the island. Keith, thanks a lot. Talk tomorrow.